Our Father, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, would you please be with us this evening by your blessed Holy Spirit? And would you please teach us and fill us with love, gratefulness, reverent fear, and joyful obedience as we reflect on the challenging and yet gracious truths and instructions of your word. Through your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we bring these prayers to you. Amen. Well, our text for tonight is Ephesians 4.26, which you can find on page 978 of the Pew Bibles. Please turn there now. This verse falls in a section of Paul's letter, beginning in verse 17, that your Bible likely labels as uh, the new life or the new life in Christ. But in truth, it could easily, just as easily, be titled the family rules or the household rules. Because in the preceding chapters, Paul instructs the Ephesians on the fundamental gospel truths that God, in His great and gracious love, adopted them and all believers as sons and daughters through the sacrificial work of Jesus. And he also reminds them that Christ, that Christ has reconciled and united the Jews and Gentiles into one faith, one big family, which is God's beloved church. These tremendous truths actually need to underpin our understanding of the exhortations and instructions that Paul gives in verses 17 to 32 of the chapter, uh, that family rules section, and also throughout the remainder of the letter. They must underpin our understanding because you see that these instructions are not given so that the Ephesians or so that we can earn salvation or sonship. They're in fact given because the Ephesians and we, through faith in Jesus Christ, which is a gift of the Lord, because we've already been saved and brought into the families. Moreover, nothing that we earned. So they're family rules. Moreover, we should recognize that the instructions that God is giving through Paul are actually an expression and an elaborate elab- and an elaboration of God's commands given to his redeemed children at Sinai. You see, like that community that came out from Egypt, just like them, they were filled with Gentiles who also joined in the lot. They had been redeemed from slavery to sin through the death of a sacrifice which pointed forward to Jesus. Just like the church at Ephesus, they had been baptized through the waters of the Red Sea, and now they were receiving their Ten Commandments from the Lord. All right, so with that as a context, let's go ahead and read Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Well, certainly much can be said, and some was said this morning, about righteous anger, especially as we see and sometimes experience the ugliness and the horrors of the world in which we live. And this includes persecution against the church around the world, rampant sexual immorality, and the scourge of abortion. The Holy Scriptures certainly address how we are to grieve such sin 
and anger toward and hatred of such sin is most certainly called for. However, I don't believe that such grand and universal anger is principally in focus here. Given the overarching context of Ephesians, and specifically Paul's call for unity among brothers and sisters in the household uh, or the church of God at the beginning of chapter 4, and the application of his instructions to the level of individual households within the church in chapters 5 and 6, when Paul addresses husbands and wives, parents and children, servants and masters, it appears that the type of anger in view is principally that which is between believers in this household. Such anger often, as we've known so sadly, uh, results in interpersonal conflict, squabbles, and offenses that can threaten the bonds of unity among God's beautiful, multi-ethnic, multicultural, adopted family. While understanding how to biblically deal with anger toward the wicked world may, may not be our topic this morning, or this evening, excuse me, it still is uh, very important to the believer, right? And so I do commend the audio of our brother Joseph uh, Thigpen's sermon from this morning service on Jesus' command to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. But again, we're going to focus on the types of anger that, that boils up amongst uh, the children of God in the household of God. And so as we consider this very important family rule tonight, remember, don't, uh, don't be angry, or be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. I'm going to endeavor, by the grace of God, to lead us in a better way uh, on a discussion of family rules uh, than sometimes happens even in Christian homes. Uh, because if you're like me, and hopefully you're not, uh, you're sometimes quick to respond to the, but why do I have to questions with, because I said so. And at such times, there's probably little discussion of how to practically accomplish such rules. But that is not to say that there's, not, uh, that there's always time for lengthy discussions, right? Uh, but in the times where time is tight, the better answer may be, because I need you to trust me. Uh, know that there is no time to discuss the don't play in the street or don't run in the parking lot rules when the car is barreling down on our children. Verse 23, which tells us to save others by snatching them out of the fire. But praise the Lord, uh, because unless he should return in the next 10, uh, though, to be clear, he's also welcome to come in the next 10 minutes, right? Um, but uh, praise the Lord even more, because he's a better father uh, and rule giver, certainly, than I am, uh, or, or any of us, uh, because he's given us his Holy Spirit, and praise the Lord, he's given us uh, his teaching and his testimonies, which reason with us and give us uh, even practical examples that help us to lead uh, uh, lives that conform to his instructions, right? And so uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look through his word, and we're going to try to figure out how and why uh, we're going to do this, right? And so we're going to consider his instructions to be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down upon your anger by asking two why questions and one how questions. And after those, we'll, we'll answer each of them with five meditations from Why should we be angry and not sin? Right? And another way of putting that is why should we not act out on our anger? One, because this is not how God dealt with you. Christian, remember that God in His grace has saved you and all His people and united them to Himself in a generous and undeserved love as sons and daughters through the sacrifice of Christ. 
In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul reminds them in verse 4 and 6 by proclaiming that in love, He, that's God, predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. We have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But God has been rich in mercy to us. He has not dealt with us that way, and we ought not dealt with our anger that way. In chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, he states that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, again, love, the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God had every reason to be angry with us. Our sins said we should not act out in anger because he's not acted out in anger towards us. Number two. We should not act out upon our anger because is this, this is not the example that Christ gave to us. Think here on Luke chapter 23, verses 20, uh, 34. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, beaten, mocked, right? How does, he, uh, how does he deal with that? Does he get angry? No, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Peter reflects on this in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, when he says that when he was reviled, that is Jesus, he did not revile in return. This uh, acting out is in anger, uh, at least in, uh, towards our brothers and sisters uh, and those he loved, is not the example that Jesus gave us. Why else uh, should we not act out in our anger? Because your anger will not produce the righteousness of God. James 1, 19 through 20 tells us, Know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteous. Proverbs 37, 8 tells us, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath, acting out on it. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. So our anger wants us, wants to own us, wants to take us uh, to evil actions. And so we must control it. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a few minutes. But four, because God, uh, well, why should we not act out upon our anger? Because God is a better judge than you and I, and you can rest in his judgments. Consider here Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord knows his own. He knows who he wants to uh, give mercy to. Moreover, we can trust that he is a faithful judge who will not let uh, injustice, who will not let uh, any bad deed done to us go unpunished. And again, remember 1 Peter 2, verse 23, as he reflects on Christ. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued... This is the word of the Lord to us, to him who judges justly. This is the word of the Lord to us. Why else should we not act in our anger? Five, because we recognize God's sovereignty over the issue. Uh, Consider when Shammai cursed and threw stones at David in the Old Testament. Uh, We read in 2 Samuel 16, 11 through 12, David's response. Uh, as his, those who were with him wanted to, to kill Shammai immediately, David says, leave him alone and let him curse, 
for Yahweh has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. We need to recognize that God is sovereign over all those things that make us angry. He knows that he's working in us something good as we seek to use patience and endurance. And we indeed actually know that he will repay us well, right? Uh, If we persevere to the end, we know from Revelation 21 that he will truly repay us on that great day of the Lord when we will look when he will look you directly in the face. Every bit of anger, everyone who's hurt you, everything that has ever uh, angered you to the point of, of despair, uh, God will make it worth it uh, as he wipes away every tear from your eye, as you persevere in faith and patience. Our next question, why then should we deal quickly with our anger? right? So do not let the sun go down on your anger. You're going to get angry in this life, but God doesn't want lasting anger. So why should we deal quickly with our anger? Because lasting anger, one, because lasting anger inhibits unity and love in our individual relationships and within the church. Again, go up a few verses in chapter 4 of Ephesians where Paul writes, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing Uh, with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lasting anger wants to break those bonds of peace. Lasting anger wants to rob you of your humility and gentleness and your patience and your love for one another. That's our resentful. Medians 13.4, which tells us that love is not irritable or or resentful meaning that it keeps no record of wrong. Keeping records of wrongs, uh, long and long records of wrong, wrong, uh, will kill your relationships, right? It'll break the bonds in a church. It'll break the bonds in a marriage. It'll break the bonds uh, between father and son, mother and child. Um, And so we need to uh, be on guard. Number two, We should deal quickly with our anger because lasting anger corrupts us and the church. Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. Anger, lasting anger, corrupts your actions. While you may not have gotten to it that first day, right? Uh, In your anger, do not sin. You may have made it past that first day. But the longer you allow that anger to, uh, to fester and to boil, right, not getting rid of it, not giving it to the Lord, the longer it lasts out there, the more strive for peace with everyone. And, uh, consider Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without, uh, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that nothing causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Lasting anger spreads. It destroys and corrupts, even in God's church. And so he kindly gives us this warning here. Praise God for his instruction. Why also should we deal quickly with our anger? Because lasting anger robs our joy. Uh, Mike's mentioned it many times from the pulpit. Um, a good saying, bitterness is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. 
Bitter people aren't joyful. How then can we fulfill James 1, 2, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Anger seeks to rob you of your joy. And for a God who tells us to delight in Him, it will distract you. So we need to get rid of our anger and not let the sun uh, come down upon it. Why else should we deal with our anger? Three, because lasting anger robs, oh, no, because lasting anger harms our witness. All right, let's consider Proverbs 12:16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, meaning all see it, all know it. But the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 29:11, a fool gives vent to his spirit, right? Let's everyone feel it, let's everyone hear it. But a wise man quietly holds it back. Our lasting anger, the anger that boils up, it harms our reputation. It harms our reputation in the church with our brothers and sisters. It harms our witness and reputation in our families and to the watching world. Why else? Five, because lasting anger leads to murder. Consider the verse that immediately follows the instruction uh, that we are considering right now in Ephesians, right? Uh, let's read it again. We'll read uh, verse 26 through 27 now of Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy, right? And our lasting anger gives him opportunity. Let's consider God's warning to Cain in Genesis 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord Yahweh an offering of fruit from the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had great regard for Abel and his offspring. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain's anger persisted. And in the verses that follow, we read of the first murder, the murder of a brother, and the horrible consequences that followed. And even if there is no physical manifestation from our anger boiling over. Our anger kills relationships, as we've already discussed, and harms us. Consider Jesus' warning in Matthew 5. You have heard that it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Our Lord takes this seriously, and we should as well. Brothers and sisters, acting on our anger and holding on to our anger long uh, past when we should have gotten rid of it is a danger not to be played with. And so we must ask, what are we to do about it, Right? That brings us to our how question. How can we obey these instructions? 
And here are five remedies that we can meditate on and think on. One, slow down and think. This uh, chapter 4, verse 26 here from Ephesians uh, is, is a bit of a copy from, um, from Psalm 4, chapter, chapter 4, uh, or the, from the fourth Psalm, verses 4 to 5, where we're told, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Now you may ask, what should I ponder? Don't ponder the wrong done to you. Don't ponder what's making you angry. Ponder on how you have sinned. Ponder on how your anger offends the Lord. As Ecclesiastes 7 verses 21 to 22 instructs, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Slow down and think. This may give you perspective. What else should we ponder? Ponder Jesus. As Hebrews 12 verses 3 through 4 states, Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Ponder Christ. Ponder how hard he resisted the temptation to get off that cross, call down legions of angels, and strike down everyone. Our Lord has been patient with us. Another remedy, pray. Pray and pray some more. Specifically, pray the Lord's Prayer, where the, uh, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Repent first. Seek to remove the log in your own eye. Repent of what you've done in your anger. Pray also for the fruit of the Spirit that we read of in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All those things will help you in your battle against anger. Pray especially for the patience to be slow to anger and merciful as our wonderful Lord has been with us sinners. Pray also for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for your wives. Pray for your husbands. Pray for your children. Uh, one way you can pray for your brothers and sisters here and cultivate a love and care for them is by uh, you know, grabbing uh, one or two bulletins, keeping them everywhere, keeping them at desk at work, keeping them in your car. We say it a lot, but do it. Pray. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. And when you pray for your brothers and sisters your wives, your husbands, and children. Do not condemn them as your enemies. They persecute us. It is wonderful about uh, praying for our enemies, loving our enemies, and praying for those who persecute us. It is a wonderful sermon. That's looking, Jesus' instructions there are looking very outward, right, on those who are persecuting the church. Here we're talking inward. Our brothers and sisters, those who have been united to us in peace are our family. They're our brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ loves them, and died for them. Remember that. They're not your enemies. 
Yet still pray for them, certainly. Lastly, you should pray by crying out to the Lord. Pray the Psalms. Pray Psalm 116 in particular. I love the Lord because He heard my voice and answered my cries for mercy. The Psalms are rich, rich with uh, cries out to the Lord in pain and distress when you feel deceived, when you feel betrayed. Pray the Psalms and entrust yourself as the psalmists always do to the Lord. A third remedy, overlook the matter. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 23 says, It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, not even noticing it. But every fool will be quarreling. Again, remember that our God overlooked our sin. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Overlook the matter. And when you cannot, remedy four, go to your brother and reason. Jesus instructs us in Matthew 18, uh, 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The Lord knows we're weak. He knows our frame. He knows we can squabble and fight, and yet he's uh, faithful and just, and he's good and kind and gives us instructions on what to do in those uh, situations. Uh, But be careful, I I tell you, and prayerfully seek wisdom if this is the uh, chosen path, because not all offenses uh, should be brought up with the weight of excommunication on them. So be wise, Christian. In any event, since such issues can rarely be resolved in one day, you still will need to entrust yourself to the Lord. And you'll have to obey Ephesians 4.27, tells us to not let the sun go down upon our anger. And a couple verses down in verses 31 and 32, which tells us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger, right, anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. God has forgiven us. We ought to forgive. A fifth remedy, praise God and give thanks. This can be in your prayers, but I thought it'd be good to bring it out because this is something we can do all day, every day, constantly, and we should. If you're angry because your uh, husband or wife has done something to annoy you, let that annoyance remind you that you're married you're not lonely. If you're angry because your kids have not cleaned their rooms, washed their laundry, washed their dishes, remember that a dirty room means you have a house, means that you are covered and warm, right? Means that God has provided for you. If they're clothes, if there's laundry, it means that he's clothed you. If there are dirty dishes, it means there was food on them. So praise him for the food he brings into your house. 
If your kids are screaming and yelling at each other and you're angry, right? Praise the Lord that they have lungs to be able to speak, right? They have arms to be able to even sometimes hit themselves, right? Or each other. Tell the Lord and trust it to him, but give him thanks. He's been very kind to us. If you're frustrated with a coworker, praise the Lord that you have a job, right? You wouldn't have to see them if you were at home. He's been destitute somewhere else. So there's much, much to give God thanks for. He's been merciful to us. And more than that, he's given us Christ. Reflect on it. I know we keep coming back to it, but praise the Lord because in his wrath, he could have destroyed us, right? But he's been slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to us. Children, if you're frustrated with your parents, I'm looking at my boys right now. I'm sure that happens quite a bit. Remember and praise the Lord that though we're not the perfect parents, right? You're not an orphan. You have someone who feeds you, clothes you, cares for you, and loves you. All right, that's the five there. There's many others. Think on them more, right? Keep searching God's word. He has plenty of things to keep us uh, from being angry. But as we conclude, I want us uh, to again consider Uh, I know I said we're not going to look at the righteous anger from our perspective, but I want us to understand there is a righteous and holy anger. And there's a wrath that can and never will go away. And for which there's only one remedy. The Lord's anger against sin is active, even now. And so unbelieving children and friends, please don't mistake God's anger and wrath as some careless rage or petty vengefulness or as an immature or uncontrollable temper tantrum? Now, this might be us, but this isn't God. His anger is white hot, and it's measured and precisely aimed at all who continue in unrepentant rebellion against him. And far from being petty, his vengeance is righteous. And if you're honest with yourself, you know it's true. You know that your actions, thoughts, and feelings mock and fall short of his standard of love for you and for your neighbor. Unlike unlike us, God doesn't lose his temper and mistreat those made in his image. But we do. And to be very clear, his anger is very much controlled. It's not a temper tantrum. Because you want to know how we know it's controlled, right? Because even now, he patiently waits And actually, unbeliever, children, friends, he's allowed you to even hear this evening his merciful call to repentance, faith, and inclusion into his beloved and eternal family. God has been merciful. Won't you accept his call? Now, if you're here tonight, young ones, friends, and you realize that you are waging a war of anger against God and you need to get rid of it, if you hear his voice calling now, I'm happy to talk with you afterwards. I know your parents would love, love, love to have that conversation with you. And anyone else here would too. So won't you please go to him in faith? Will you pray with me? Dear Father, we need you. We are angry people, prone to anger, often quick to anger and quick to act in our anger with words and deeds uh, that fall short of your glory. 
Father, have mercy on us yet again. Thank you for your steadfast love, for your enduring mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you've been slow to anger with us and that we will rejoice with you through faith in Christ Jesus. Would you please help us this week uh, and every day and every week to put our faith and trust in you more, to depend on you, to not rely on our anger to get us through and not to boil over, uh, fretting over the things of this world. Um, Would you grow us in unity and the bond of peace uh, in our congregation here, in our individual family units, um, and wherever we go, Father? Would you cause us to be uh, uh, lights, Lord, in a world that is entirely angry? Would you cause us, Lord, uh, to bring your truth and your hope to our friends, our family, our children? This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.